Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage, and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. In September of 2022, we kicked off a sex series beginning with Pastor Mike Novotny, who laid the foundation with God's design and warnings for sex. His episode became our sixth most listened to in 2022, and I am thrilled to get to share it with you again today. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Mike. Hey, Laura. Thanks so much for having me today. Would you mind just providing a little context by giving us a snapshot of your life right now? Um, yeah, I'd love to. So what my story began on a cold Wisconsin winter day in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I came into the world about 41 and a half years ago. So I'm right in the heart of uh, trying to accept the fact that I have wrinkles and gray hairs and life is moving really fast. Been married to Kim, who was my first ever girlfriend. We met freshman year of college. We've been together 19 plus years, so hoping to hit the 20-year anniversary next summer. And we're blessed with two daughters. So Brooklyn is 14. She's going to be a freshman in high school. And our little Maya is not so little. She's going to be 13 here this fall. I've been in ministry for 15 years full-time. I'm a pastor just south of Green Bay, Wisconsin, north of Chicago by about three hours and also privileged to serve as the lead speaker of a global media ministry that's called Time of Grace, where I get to be on TV and YouTube and write books and all kinds of things. So great family at home, middle stage of life, try not to mess things up <laughs> that God puts into my hands. So I feel pretty blessed these days. That's awesome. And I very much appreciate your ministry. And I'd love to know why you think it's vitally important to discuss sex within the church. Oh, yeah. I, I like I like your word choice there. It It is not just important, but it's vitally important because the world is discussing sex constantly. My daughters are hearing about sex all the time. They're, they're in Christian schools. They go to a Christian church, but there's just enough stuff happening with their friends and with Netflix and with their favorite pop songs that turn on on the radio and the minivan so the fact is, if they're going to hear a thousand things probably a year about sex, doesn't it make sense that the God who loves them and that the Christian church that cares for them should say a little something too? Mm. We're getting all these messages. Some are pretty accurate. Some are way not accurate. Some line up with the things that God says in his word. Some are just the opposite of what God says in his word. So it's not like if Christians and Christian parents and Christian pastors and Christian churches, it's not like we're the first one to bring it up. I think, you know, we want to get into the conversation too and say things that are beautiful and true and accurate and helpful. So I think even though it can be, you know, a bit uncomfortable, especially in the gathering of believers, I think humbly and biblically bringing this topic out is so vital for the people who are trying to follow Jesus. 
And you're absolutely right. Culture is constantly communicating about it. And what have you seen, even in your ministry, do you think that parents are starting to talk about this more with their kids? Ooh, I think more. Anecdotally, I've heard a few stories from fellow parents that make me think, wow, yeah, I was not raised like that. <laughs> you know, I was trying to figure this out on my own. So I I feel like that's picked up a little momentum. Maybe kind of the don't ask, don't tell policy of generations past has changed a little bit. But I also do sense some hesitation of parents still thinking this is so awkward or my kid doesn't want to hear this, so I don't want to force it on them. So I, I think parents and Christian ministries are still trying to figure this out, too. So maybe two steps closer there and 98 steps from where we probably want to be. Oh, that's good. Okay, so culture's talking about it. Parents kind of maybe getting closer to discussing this. But God clearly discusses this. And I'd love to know from you, since you're a pastor, you also spend a lot of time in the Word. Mm -hmm. What are some of the unexpected parts of the Bible that discuss sex? Oh, yeah. Um, Laura, has anyone uh, ever shared with you that there's two big sections of the Bible that talk about sex? No. Yeah. Um, you might want to write this down. They are the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, if you if you look for it and you just think about it, it is, it's everywhere. You know, besides Adam and Eve and Jesus, everyone in the whole story has a connection to sex. The genealogies of the Bible, you know, those boring sections you kind of skim or maybe skip over, talk about sex. There's stories about Abraham and about Jacob and about Rachel and about Leah are often about sex. Sodom and Gomorrah and the Corinthians are about sex. Jesus is the friend of prostitutes and prostitution has to do with sex. People like the Ephesians worshiped a goddess named Artemis, who was the goddess of fertility and sex. And so you, you just find from cover to cover— and I haven't even mentioned the Song of Songs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, there, there's so much in the Proverbs, in the prophets, in the teachings of the apostles, in the teachings of Jesus, adultery, marriage, the epistles, uh, you know, just start to finish. It's really hard to get through a whole book of the Bible without touching on this topic. And so, yeah, you don't have to search for it. You don't have to have a special sermon series. If you're just the kind of person who goes through the Bible or a church that wants a journey through books of the Bible, God is throwing these slow pitches saying, talk about this, talk about this. Here it is. Let me give you another chance to bring my truth to the people who need it so much. And in his word, he doesn't just talk about all of the beautiful parts that he created. He shares where we as humans mess up and fail miserably mm. as well. And before we pressed record, you were mentioning that you're preparing for a sermon series in the book of Esther. Mm. So even with Esther, what have you learned about <laughs> the topic yes. of sex in that time? Oh, my goodness. You know, even though lots of Christians watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, you know, they have the... You know, the rose and the honeymoon suites and the dates. And you know, it's got a little bit, a little bit PG-13 for the Christian audience. But the book of Esther is like that, except the TVMA version. You know, you read the details of the first chapters of Esther. Here this drunk king Xerxes dumps his wife because she won't come parading before his drunk friends. By the way, some Jewish commentators think that Xerxes was asking his wife to walk into the room of men in just her royal crown. He's like, oh, I'm done with my wife. Let's have a new contest where one woman will come into my royal chambers in the evening, I think is the quote from Esther 2, and then in the morning she can leave. 
and let's find the most attractive women in the 127 provinces of the Persian kingdom. And then the winner, I'll give the rose after sleeping with hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of women. And so, you know, this beautiful book of Esther that we're like, oh, God saves his people. And this, how amazing that this woman steps up for such a time as this. Like the, the underpinnings of that whole story are this sexually deviant culture. And yet a sovereign God is working in the midst of it to carry out his purposes and to surprisingly protect his people. Wow, that is fascinating. And when we're looking at a more positive side, historically, how have followers of Jesus been countercultural when it comes to sex? Mm. Yeah, I think in two ways. I think faithful Christians who love the Bible have often been more cautious when it comes to sex and have often been more positive when it comes to sex. You know, the the world, which is kind of addicted to short-term pleasure, obviously sex is one of the most powerful ways to do that. So whether it's lusting after someone, whether it's looking at pornography, whether it's a, a one-night stand, whether it's an affair, like there's always something very thrilling, very exciting, very arousing about the short-term pleasure of sinful sex. And, and Christians have been cautious about that. They haven't denied that, but they've said, yeah, but we're... As Christians, we're not just thinking about today, we're thinking about tomorrow, how will we feel? And we're especially thinking about the tomorrow with a capital T when we stand before God. You know, what, what does he think about this? What will he say about this? How will he judge me for that? And, and so Christians have not just been like giving into instinct and impulse and desire. They've always tried to, to pray what Jesus taught us to pray. Father, your will be done. Lead us not into temptation, even the temptation of sinful sex. And then the flip side, I think where maybe some cultures and maybe especially some religious or Christian cultures think that a denial of sexual desire is somehow spiritual, not to wade into the waters too much, but, you know, sometimes there are whole, you know, denominations that think to really get close to God, you have to take this vow of chastity. And the Bible just doesn't go there. It just says sex is such a beautiful gift and you don't need to have it. And Jesus and Paul didn't have it. But there is nothing more spiritual about having less sex. In fact, it's one of the best ways to worship. It's just this glimpse of the excitement and the intimacy and the pleasure and the closeness and the love that God has with his people in a very non-sexual way. And so, yeah, on the one hand, we're cautious. On the other hand, we're excited. And that can be countercultural in one of two ways. I love that. And I'm even going to refer to, I believe, page 47 of one of the books that you've written entitled Sexpectations. And you're quoting from a writer from the 4th century BC, and he was describing what culture was like, and quotes, We have concubines for pleasure, female slaves for our daily care and sex, and wives to give us legitimate children, end quote. And then you talk about not Christians, though. We are about one man, one woman, one flesh. That's it. Mm. So anything you'd want to elaborate on there? Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you just get a little historical perspective and you say, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm grateful for Christian culture. If I'm a woman living in Corinth, you know, and I just have to accept that, well, my, my husband, he's going to leave me with these kids. He's going to go off to work. He's going to stop by a brothel. We have female servants who are going to sexually please him. Like, imagine what it was like to be a woman in that culture. And then the Apostle Paul writes this letter called 1 Corinthians, where he says, you know, the wife's, bo the wife's body 
is connected to her husband. They're one flesh. And the husband's body belongs to his wife because they're still one flesh. So, man, I sometimes try to put myself in that cultural context and say, how compelling must the Christian sexual ethic have been? I recently read a book that kind of had a sociological theory. Why, why did the Christian church explode in those early centuries? And one of the theories of this author was, was because their sexual ethic was so empowering and beautiful to women. Because God called men, who often in those days had so much more power, to be reserved and to be faithful and to be like Jesus to their wives, like Christianity became a little bit like a magnet, especially for women in the ancient world, because it offered them sex. Maybe that wasn't always easy, but it offered them sex that was beautiful and beneficial for their families in the long run. I won't quote this entire time, but just one more piece from page 47 that you write, the Christians share their food, but not their wives. So followers of Jesus have always been different when it comes to sex, but just because it's clear in Jesus's teaching doesn't mean it's easy for Jesus's people. For some of my church family, this has been the hardest part about following Jesus. There are desires and urges that feel like needs. Yeah, so true. I wish I couldn't relate to that. I, <laughs> I wish I was talking about other people, but yeah, it's a beautiful calling, but it's a high one. Just like love your neighbor. I mean, it sounds so good on paper, and then you meet your actual neighbor. <laughs> like, wow, this is this is a this is the right thing for me. This is a good path from my Father in heaven. But this is going to take a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of help from the Spirit and a whole lot of encouragement from brothers and sisters in the faith. So I, I think it's good that we're honest about that. It, it is absolutely the right path to follow this narrow road of Christian sexuality, but let's let's not kid ourselves and assume this is going to be easy and natural for us. Just the opposite, in fact. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, winshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. You and your wife just seem to have an amazing marriage, and you're really open about your journey to the counselor's office seven years into your marriage. So will you tell us more about what brought you there and what you both learned? Yeah. You know, Laura, it's, it's not good to point fingers, but, but I blame the children. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we, maybe we weren't great at like sex and marriage in those early years, but once the kids came, that was just, that was such 
a game changer for us. I don't know about you or uh, everyone who's listening, but when my wife and I got married, we we didn't know this beforehand. By God's grace, we we didn't have a lot of sexual experience before that. We were both virgins until our wedding night. But we quickly learned that our our desires and our the level of intimacy, the frequency of intimacy, we were different when it came to that. Not good, not bad, not right, not wrong. We were just different. You know, for me, it was much more of a priority, a way that I felt close to her and loved. And for her, it was it was great and it was nice. But if something else was going on in life and it was really crazy, that wasn't super, super high on her list. And so, you know, we figure that out when we're just going to grad school and having jobs and stuff. But then the kids come. And the, <laughs> if my daughters happen to listen to this podcast, I, I love bless. How would how would they say it in the South? Bless, bless your, your heart. heart. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were little the most adorable little bundles of energy sapping <laughs> totally drained by the end of the day. And man, once Kim and I were running on empty, you know, once I was thinking, well, we should, we, we should do less things with these kids so we can have more time to connect with each other. And once Kim was thinking, well, I'd, I'd love to connect with you, but I obviously have to be a mother and there's all these needs and I want to put my kids first. I think that's where it really pushed us. So we had our second, daughter. Our kids came 15 months apart, which was not our plan. But sometimes that happens when you have sex. (laughs) And we just realized, man, we don't, we have full-time jobs. We have two little kids in diapers. And I just feel like we're a little bit drifting when it comes to intimacy. And that started to cause big problems in our relationship. So after having the same fight for the, you know, the 15th time, we thought we should, we should probably get some wisdom and advice on this. And so we reached out to a local marriage and sex therapist in our community and kind of started walking down that road where we hopefully would bring us back together and kind of deal with some of these issues. And was that a helpful process for the two of you? Super helpful. Yeah. I mean, third parties are so good because there's a little bit of truth in what the first two parties are saying. Like, did I need to be way more understanding about the exhaustion of motherhood Like, yeah, Mike, this is going to be different. You can't expect the sexual frequency of pre-kids maybe to be the same when you have two in diapers and one's up all night. That's not reasonable. It's not patient of me. It's not compassionate of me. So I I had to adjust my expectations. And I think for Kim to realize, oh, okay, this, this really is a huge way for my husband to feel loved and respected. Like I I can do a hundred things as a mom, but if, if I'm not doing this one thing as a wife, it's going to be really hard for him to be happy about our marriage. So I think it, you know, even though we remained different when it came to our natural desires, I I think it pushed us just a little bit towards that, that closeness that we really needed. We needed someone to push us a little bit and say, okay, you're not right. And you're not right. There's about half right in both of you. And and let's kind of meet in the middle with selflessness and sacrifice and love. And one thing that I love about that story that you just shared is It's so encouraging to hear when a couple pursues health and pursues wisdom by getting a third party involved. And then really when that third party, like you said, it was a, it sounds like a Christian sex therapist. They really just helped you practically apply the Bible to your actual life, the selflessness that you're pursuing and the love for one another. So that's very encouraging. And Mike, I also appreciate how open you've been about your journey with pornography. So will you walk us through your healing and recovering from pornography? Yeah. 
Yeah. So unfortunately, when I went through puberty in the mid 90s, I'm not sure if you've heard about this, but the, this thing was invented called the Internet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the old uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues and the catalogs that came in the mail just, you know, were steamrolled by this constant source of temptation. And I unfortunately did not do well with it. So I kind of got sucked into a, a really bad, you know, if I could make it three days without looking at something bad was a pretty good streak for me. And I really got sucked into that. And unfortunately, that, you know, that became a stumbling block later in marriage where, you know, Kim just assumed maybe I was pushing too hard because of the things I had seen. I didn't think I was doing that, but I, you know, I just saw why God hates pornography and why he says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Uh, because it's just, you know, it's such short-term pleasure that leaves you with long-term pain. Unfortunately, not only did I sin, but I did... One of the worst things you can do when you sinned is that I kept it a secret. So I was way too embarrassed to talk to a friend or my pastor or someone from church about that struggle. And so I would repent, I would weep, I would memorize whole chunks of the Bible. I mean, if you ask me 1 Corinthians 6, Romans 7, 1 Thessalonians 4, I could I could still recite that from memory all these decades later. I, I tried everything. I've made every promise, prayed every prayer, and it just never changed until, <laughs> until I actually listen to what the Bible says. James 5 verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that was really my experience. When I dragged this out into the light, kicking and screaming, when I stopped caring so much about my image and what people thought of me, but I just honestly confess my sin. It, you know, didn't go away in an instant. But wow, the power of that sin to control me kind of lost its grip. And so I was able, by God's grace, to experience His forgiveness and some restoration and some sobriety. And I still, even years later, you know, I, I try to be really cautious with my internet use and what I do with my phone. I stay accountable to friends. But yeah, you know, I think what I really learned from that journey is that you know, pornography will find you in the modern world. You don't have to look for it. And if you're if you're caught in it, if it's affecting your relationship or your family, there, there are two so powerful biblical things. Number one is the grace of God, and number two are the people of God. So running back to Jesus, who loved adulterers and prostitutes and the Corinthians and the Ephesians, really broken sexual people, he loved them, forgave them, and cleansed them. And <laughs> then he uses people just like that to encourage us and help us and pray for us so that we can pursue healing and restoration. Yes, absolutely. Amen. And Mike, thank you for sharing. I think so many people can relate or maybe are in the struggle enslaved to this sin. And so I appreciate that you provide even very practical hope of how to apply the Bible again to our lives. Mm. And maybe this is one of the reasons why you write that sex is fiery. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Well, Laura, where do you live again? We're in central Illinois. Central Illinois. Okay. So you're close enough to Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin, in February, it gets pretty brutal here. Mm -hmm. you, have, you know, you just you just want Jesus to come back immediately <laughs> and, and save us from the cold. So yeah, I'm blessed in our home. We have this little um, fireplace, like real wood fireplace. And I love, love, love making fires in the winter. You know, seeing that flame burn, the warmth that it brings to our home. Like, I I love having a fire. I wouldn't want to have a home without a fireplace. And 
I'm also rather fearful of that fire. The fire makes the pane of glass on the front door so hot that I was always afraid that one of my little girls was going to reach out and touch it and get burned. Sometimes the sparks pop out and there's the carpet ready to you know, light up and take away all the possessions that I have. And so, you know, I love this thing and yet I have a healthy fear of this thing. I want to use it as much as possible in my home and I'm going to use it with a really strict, I'm not just going to light a fire in the kitchen, right? I'm going to contain it to this one very safe spot and I'm going to be very cautious with it because it only takes once for that fire to get out of the fireplace for someone to get really burned and hurt. So why do I say sex is fiery? Because it's, it's exactly the same. Do I like sex? Yes. <laughs> do I want sex in my home? Absolutely I do. Do I think it's a good gift from a good God? Absolutely I do. And, and the Bible teaches us to be very respectful and biblically fearful of sex. You don't have to run around on your spouse 50 times for someone to get really hurt. You don't have to look at pornography a thousand times for it to become an enslaving addiction. You know, sometimes one sexual sin can really burden your conscience and do real damage, unexpected pregnancies, STDs, a separation from Jesus. And so I, I try to compact all that into that little phrase, just like fire, sex itself is fiery. And then even from your study of the Bible, you write about really laboring over these 77 passages that have the word sex or sexual in them. What was your finding from studying that? Yeah, God is a good father. So if you read every passage, at least in the New International Version of the Bible, where those words come up, it is always a warning. Flee from sexual immorality. You know, be cautious of sexual desires. And so even though God wants what's best for us, I mean, he, he created us for pleasure and goodness and joy. It's like God giving us the fireplace and then he has this manual with 77 points and be careful of this and be careful of this and beware of this and beware of this. He's not trying to take something from us. He's just trying to save us from the fire that torches our lives. And so, yeah, the, the Bible's really tipped towards caution when it comes to sex. And that makes sense because it is so powerful in a marriage and it's used as such a gift in marriage, maybe used as the wrong word, but it is a blessing that cements the couple together and even the way that the Lord made our bodies to experience that pleasure with each other. It's so powerful to connect us with one another and that's what makes it especially dangerous outside of marriage. Yeah. So when we flip that, so we see all of the warnings, but those don't apply in the same way within marriage between the husband and wife, what have you learned from the heart of our Heavenly Father of what he wants for couples who are married to enjoy with sex? Yeah, it's, it's so cool. Kind of the foundational Bible passage from, what, page two of the scriptures? You know, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Uh, I think the Greek word that's used there when Jesus quotes it in the New Testament, the Greek word to be united to means to be literally to be glued to someone. It's like when you join in marriage and sexual intimacy, it's like you're you're not just like one person next to each other. It's like somehow God is gluing, he's he's bringing two people together in a kind of closeness and intimacy that just wouldn't exist otherwise. And I love, you know, when I started studying pornography and its effects on the brain, uh, I learned that uh, there's this massive rush of oxytocin that's connected to orgasm and sexual experiences. Some people call oxytocin the cuddle hormone or the bonding hormone. So, you know, a mother who's breastfeeding her baby, 
she'll release huge amounts of oxytocin. She just feels so bonded and like glued to stuck to this kid. And the same thing happens with sex. So God, God literally created our hormones and our bodies and our minds that when we enjoy the good gift of sex, not with a screen, not with uh, an illicit partner, an affair, when we do that frequently with our spouses, God, he's bringing the relationship even closer. He's gluing us together so that we don't just make some vow at the altar, I'm, I'm going to be with you until death do us part, but our our bodies literally want to. So, man, it's so, it's so crazy that God, I mean, he's pretty good at his job. So I suppose he he made the brain and the body and he knew exactly how to make it. So that's so cool for me to think about. Like, this is really fun. Honey, I like having sex with you. And it's making our marriage and our relationship even stronger by God's design. If this is your first time with us, I want to say welcome. We are so honored to have you join us. And we would love to hear how you first heard about the Savvy Sauce. And if you've been here for a while, would you consider becoming a patron? By joining our group of patrons, you gain exclusive access to many bonus episodes. And the new episodes and downloadable scripture cards just keep coming with your monthly patronage. You can join today by visiting thesappysauce.com and clicking on our Patreon tab. Then click Join Patreon here. We're able to keep producing content due to the generosity of our patrons. So we want to sincerely say thank you. Will you elaborate on a saying around your church where you say STP equals LTP? Yeah, so I stole that, <laughs> full, uh, full disclosure. The founding pastor of the church where I'm at here in Appleton, Wisconsin, he would say this all the time, and I find myself quoting him all the time because it's so relevant to so many things. So it can have two meanings, STP equals LTP. The first meaning is short-term pleasure equals long-term pain. So is there short-term pleasure in looking at pornography? For sure. Is it really exciting for some people to get attention from a married coworker? For sure. Man, just like if your spouse is in the mood, but you're pushing to get your way with sex, will there be some pleasure connected in that sex? Maybe a little bit, yeah. But short-term pleasure equals long-term pain. You know, when your spouse feels pressured for sex, well, that leads you to long-term pain. When your body is like, craving clicking a, a pornographic link and then you get discovered by your your kid or your significant other that's long-term pain yeah the affair gets discovered just ruins a, a family so yeah he was so right about that with so many sins whether it's drinking too much or gossiping or being greedy short-term pleasure equals long-term pain but the flip side kind of the second application is but stp equals ltp short-term pain equals long-term pleasure so if I do the the painful thing of like, oh man, my body really wants to look at this, but I'm not going to do that. That's, that's painful in the short term, but there's long-term pleasure to that. I'm going to go to bed tonight and say, man, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't lust after after her. I'm so glad I, I was faithful to my wife with my eyes and with my body. And so, yeah, I think it's a, a good application to life. God save me from the the magnetic pull of short-term pleasure. Give me the self-control to go through short-term pain so that later tonight and tomorrow morning and five years from now and for all eternity, I won't regret the choices that I made with the body that you gave me. I love that. And I had not heard it flipped around that way. That's powerful. And I love how in one of your books, you also write that sex is unnecessary, which <laughs> that's a phrase we don't often hear. So will you unpack that a little bit further? <laughs> yeah. So outside of the context of sex, my uh, my youngest daughter, Maya, 
She's so beautiful. She she's picked up on the very, very important distinction between what we want and what we need. So if I say, you know, I I need to go out for ice cream right now. And she'll say, Daddy, do you need that? Or do you just want that? <laughs> and and I love that. I mean, I think that's good for any Christian to know the difference between a want and a need. Because when you think you need something, like you'll push to get it. I need this right now. I need this. I need this. I need this. So I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want. I don't care what kind of mood you're in. I, I need. So if we see sex as like a right now, I have this, I feel this, I'm aroused right now. I, I need this. What we're, What's that going to do to our relationship? You know, there are times when a person is in the mood to have sex and there's times when there's not. There's times when it's okay to, you know, make a move and if you get a response, go for it. And if there's some hesitation, well, a, a good marriage requires some patience and some self-control and some gentleness and some respect. And so the reason I say sex is unnecessary is just to save people from sabotaging their own sexual relationships. That probably comes out of my own experience too. What I learned from counseling was, wow, if Kim associates sex with me pressuring her, she's not going to love sex as much as she should. You know, if I see this as like a right here and now need, and I can't wait till tomorrow, or I can't wait till this weekend. Oh man, in the end, STP equals LTP. That's going to, that's going to blow up and leave me with some long-term pain. So I love in the Bible. The only thing that we really need is God. Uh, Philippians 4, 13, the apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And a lot of people quote that passage out of context, right? They <laughs> they put the banner up in like their their gym or the banner for their football field. We can do everything through Christ who gives us strength. <laughs> no, that's like it's Paul saying you can be content right now, and maybe your relationship needs some work, and you're not connecting sexually, and you think I, I can't do this. I need this right now. No, no, you don't. What you need is God. He's right here to help you. He can give you the self control and the patience to get through this, and then. You, you can want it and enjoy it without thinking you need it and pushing to get more of it. So that's where that phrase comes from. Sex is unnecessary. And I love, I've heard you teach before, even on the numbers and the percentages of it. So you said, if you put sex in a realistic picture for a marriage, that maybe they're coming together, even just saying two total hours per week. So two hours out of the 168 hours a week, that would be spending one percent of your week having sex and 99 percent on the other stuff and so i love how you even bring out that math perspective of it yeah. yeah i mean just our own experience it's logically like oh yeah that's right and i wasn't super like depressed for the other 99 percent of the week <laughs> my own experience tells me okay I, I can have a lot of pleasurable moments that aren't connected to sexual pleasure and maybe that if because of the circumstances of the week i need to shifted up to 99.3%. That's okay. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through this and God's going to help me. And so I'd love to also go back a little bit in time. When was it that you felt God really calling you to obey by talking about this topic over the pulpit? Ooh, Ooh, that's a good question. The church that I'm at now I mentioned the founding pastor before their really founding values were to be real and to be relevant and to be relational. So I think from the start of the culture of the church that I'm at now, which I've been at for eight years, that's always been like, pastor, tell us about it. You know, some of us have been abused. Some of us have been through divorce. 
Some of us have considered suicide. Some of us are super depressed or anxious. Some of us are hooked on pornography or drugs. We drink too. Like, talk, open the Bible. We need your help with this. And so I love that church culture. The church I was at previously, amazing church, but that's probably where I started to dabble and like dip the toe in. And (laughs) I think I did a series on the Song of Songs there a couple years after becoming a pastor. And while my experience has been, you know, maybe God has just blessed me with some really great churches. But my experience has been, if you if you tell people the reason why, you can get away with almost any what. You know, so if I if I stand up in front and during a sermon introduction, I say, okay, today we're going to talk about something that's going to make a bunch of you really uncomfortable. And some of you are going to say, Pastor, this doesn't belong in church. And others of you are going to think, don't you know, Pastor, that there are kids here? And others of you are going to think, well, this I'm single. This doesn't apply to me. Why are we talking about this when I come to worship? You know, so I try to verbalize those objections. And then I say, but here's why I want to talk to you about sex on Sunday morning. Because there are people here today who question if God loves them because of the sexual choices they've made. There's other marriages here that are strained and struggling because they, they're just different when it comes to sexual desire and they don't know what to do with that. There's kids here who haven't told you yet, but they've been looking at things on the internet when mom and dad aren't around, and before it's too late, we need to save them from that addiction. So what I kind of learned is that most people understand, if you give them a good reason why, you know, that you can talk about a kind of awkward and uncomfortable what. I think if you leave the why out, it's people, you know, their walls go up and the the objections, and this doesn't feel appropriate. So that's always kind of been my go-to model that, man, God's people need this. They're not blessed if we avoid this. So lead with the why, follow with the what, and that's when God does really great things. Well, I love that approach, even when you're verbalizing some of those experiences that people may be having, because I can see that ushering in openness or vulnerability in their own relationships. Maybe that is the first time where the child may feel more comfortable realizing I am not the only person struggling with this. Maybe I can Mm -hmm. go to my parents or maybe somebody feels compelled to bring this into the light. And so once you were obedient to communicate this message, were there any stories that you can think of that you want to share that took place because you discussed healthy sexuality? Yeah. I call it the boomerang effect that if I bring up a topic, people will talk to me about that topic. If I don't throw the boomerang out there and never bring it up, there are very, very few people who have the courage and confidence and say, hey, pastor, I know you weren't talking at all about this, but can I talk to you about, you know, fill in the blank, embarrassing subject. So I've always believed that if I can be the first to be courageous and bring up something uncomfortable, that someone in the room is going to be really blessed. And yeah, you asked for stories that that happened so much. I, I can't tell you, Laura, how often People will email me after a sermon or just reach out to me. And the first line is always, I'm nervous to write this, but I know that you'll get it. Or, Pastor, you know when you brought up blank on Sunday? Well, that's me. And I think the demographic that surprised me the most, um, forgive me for being um, naive about this, but I thought, you know, stereotypically, men are often more interested in sex than women. And, you know, younger people tend to be more you know, because of hormones, thinking about sex and more elderly people from the church. So I had the stereotype that older Christian women were going to push back the most on this topic. And I probably got more messages from older Christian women saying, I wish someone would have said that to me 50 years ago. 
and I kind of looked at, I'm, I'm not the smartest man on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I looked at the calendar and I thought, well, duh, the, 50 years ago was the sexual revolution. You know, these are the, the free love days of the sixties and seventies. So why, why was I thinking that the Christians who had lived through that in their formative years, like wouldn't understand the good and the bad and the fieriness of sex. And so it's just really affirming to know that every generation needs to hear this message. If I bring this up, maybe there's a little pushback, but wow, there's a lot of people who are going to be grateful and they're going to be blessed that finally, 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 they have an open Bible that speaks to them with grace and truth about their sexuality. Wow. I feel like we can't hear that enough. Every generation needs to talk about this. And then that's a whole new concept, what you said about the boomerang effect. I will tuck that away even for parenting. I want to be with my husband. I hope that we're the two bringing these difficult topics up with our children so that they can come to us as a safe, trusted place. That's so huge. I I sometimes call that preemptive preaching where I say to my kids, listen, I hope hope God gives you the self-control to wait until marriage. But if by chance you don't, talk to me and mom. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be scared. Maybe you're even going to be pregnant and you didn't plan to. Because here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to hug you and I'm going to say, God loves you. I'm going to say, Jesus forgives this. And I'm going to say, how can I help you? Like they haven't even done anything yet, but I want to get a seed of confidence and grace and love to be like, I don't want you just to Google it. Google doesn't love you. Google doesn't know you. So I'm going to preemptive preach. I love doing that at my church. Like, hey, you're going to be scared to reach out to me. But if you do, here's what I'm going to tell you. You know that God loves you, right? And I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to find something about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that you're forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to help you. We're going to figure out how we can get through this together. So the more we can preemptively do that, it's like you're throwing the boomerang and you're just making it easy, easy, easy for that to come back to you. So yeah, parents, small group leaders, friends, wow, the more we can lead the way with that courage, I think that makes a huge difference in the church. Absolutely. And it is so good for our hearts all to be strengthened by grace like that. So Mike, if anyone wants to learn more from you after today's conversation, where would you direct us? Yeah. So I work with that ministry called Time of Grace. So if you just go to the website at timeofgrace.org, you can find these little books, Sexpectations, another mini book called Sex is Complicated, there's some written devotions there on the Version Bible app. There's some uh, devotional plans on sexual purity based out of my experiences with pornography. So kind of a one-stop shop for all that is timeofgrace.org. Wonderful. We will put a link to that in the show notes for today's episode. And you may be familiar that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so is my final question for you today, Mike. What is your savvy sauce. <laughs> Laura, I'm blessed to do a lot of interviews. Yours has the coolest name by far. Oh. So you, <laughs> I don't know if there's a like podcasting award ceremony at the end of the year, but this should be the gold medal prize for best <laughs> title of any podcast. <laughs> yeah. Savvy sauce. So there's a phrase that we use in my home and it's kind of bled into the culture of my church. And it is applicable on a daily basis. It's applicable to sex. It's applicable to family. It's applicable to being hospitable. It's applicable to evangelism. Uh, Here's the phrase. Me first makes a mess, but you first makes us blessed. 
And I know that's a little bit cheesy, the rhyme, <laughs> but I think that when my wife and I aren't connecting sexually, I can almost guarantee it's because I'm thinking of me, me first, or Kim's thinking of herself first. You know, she's thinking about her list, her to do's. I'm thinking about what I want and when I want it. And that just, it blows up the bedroom and it blows up marriage. But when we're both thinking you first, how can I serve you? How can I sacrifice? How can I be like Jesus to you? Can I be patient for you? Can I help with something on your to-do list? Can I surprise you with flowers or a flirty text while you're at work? Like when we both think of, of you first, man, sex feels like the natural fruit of a selfless root. And so we just have, you know, t-shirts and family values that just say you first, you first. God, you know, give me the self-control and the love of Jesus to put other people first. Because once that happens, whew, life gets really fun. That is so good. Could you repeat that phrase one more time? Yeah. Me first makes a mess, but you first makes us blessed. Wow. Mike, your energy just reveals your passion and you have such a unique perspective that you've shared. So I also really just appreciate your willingness to be obedient to God and to enter into this conversation. Like you said, it can be awkward, but you're not shying away from that with sharing with your church family and beyond. And I believe that you've richly benefited all of us learning from you today. So thank you very much for being my guest. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Laura. Ever since launching this podcast in 2018, our team has tried to release at least one episode every Monday morning. In addition, we also launched a secret bonus episode for paying patrons on the first of every month, but we're changing things up a bit. We will continue to release the bonus episode for paying patrons, but on those weeks when it's the first of the month, that will be the only episode going live which means next week on Monday, there will not be a brand new episode available for the general public. If you've benefited from any messages on the Savvy Sauce, we would encourage you to support our work through joining Patreon. You can go to thesavvysauce.com, click on the Patreon tab, click join Patreon here, and then follow the prompts so that you can have access to all these bonus episodes and downloadable scripture cards. We hope you join us there. Otherwise, we'll see you back here in two weeks. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? 
Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.